0: Thank you for joining us today on our Eastside Church podcast. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. This is a little different view for me, a little different uh, situation. So, um, here we go. We're just going to get to it. If you know anything about me, you know that I love sports. To sometimes to my demise, I love sports. I love all of them. I love football. I love baseball. Soccer's not a sport. I love... Um, <laughs> rough crowd. Ooh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't, don't, don't tune me out. But I love sports. Um, I love college football. I love, I love it all. But of all the sports, my favorite is baseball. And some of you might say that's not a sport. And if that's you, I encourage you to come and talk to me afterwards, and I will teach you in the ways of righteousness. <laughs> and I will, I will show you that baseball is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It, is, uh, it's, it could be slow, but it is, at the end of the day, it comes down to a guy with a rock in his hand trying to throw it past a guy with a stick. And it is, it, I, I played it. All my life, I travel played on travel baseball teams. I had the dream of becoming a professional baseball player, as most little boys do want to be a professional, but my body did not cooperate with my <laughs> dreams and so finally, about the seventh, eighth, ninth grade, somewhere when I realized I was still one hundred and thirty pounds and five foot four, that wasn 't going to make it <laughs> so I just couldn't do it. I had the drive to be a baseball player, but never had the physique. And so um, I, I love baseball. And one of the things that I was, it was ingrained into me from an early age was this whole idea of backing each other up. And so I played second base and catcher uh, the majority of my baseball career. And so career. <laughs> We'll say that and then and, and agree with that one. <laughs> in my mind, it was a, a career, and you can't pu- pull that from me. <clears throat> I had a, I had a lifetime, you know, batting average that was the greatest of all time. You know, so in my mind, I was the greatest. So, anyways, th- I I remember so many times, and when it was beautiful as a catcher, you know, you would see how a ball was put in play and you would watch how it should happen is you would see multiple people moving to back each other up. You you know, a throw to first base, you had someone coming to back up that throw to first base. You had multiple people moving on the diamond in the event of an error. It wasn't if an error happens, it's when an error happens. And if you watch Major League Baseball today, errors still happen. Even the professionals who are the best athletes, the best baseball players in the world still make errors. And so that gives me a great deal of confidence when I think about joining a softball league. <laughs> I can go out and still, hey, I made an error. So did uh, Ronald Acuna. <laughs> so, you know, I feel good about it. And I struck out, well, so did the pros. Now, they struck out on a 95 mile fastball, and I struck out slow-pitch softball. <laughs> Context matters, right, Brandon? <laughs> Context matters. <laughs> So, but one of the things that, that was instilled in me from a, an early age, from, I mean, for, from t-ball all the way to high school baseball, and you see in college and the pros, it's a, it's a fundamental that never goes away from the game, is back each other up. And, and I, as a coach, I, once, I, once I, you know, realized I couldn't play anymore, my love for the game was still there, so I was like, well, I'll coach. And then I had a brother who was who was talented. So I coached him and coached several kids and, and enjoyed coaching. And that was one of the main things I drove into these kids was the idea of backing each other up, moving, not being just, not just sitting still on the baseball field. You should, every person on the field should be moving at every pitch. And so, and I I think, I think about that and how important that is. And one of, one of the things that, uh, One of my favorite games I've ever watched in my life. It was two summers ago, and the Braves were playing the Dodgers. I'm a big Braves fan, and for those of you who aren't, I will pray for you afterwards. We have oil. And so the Braves were playing the Dodgers, and it's uh, kind of a heated rivalry right now. And they had this young, promising, left-handed pitcher on the mound. His name's Sean Newcomb. Got some good, nasty stuff. And he's up on the mound, and he's working. He's throwing a gym. He gets through six innings, and he's got a perfect game going. Now, for those of you who don't know what a perfect game is, that means he hasn't allowed a base hit. He hasn't walked anybody. It's perfect. The absolute definition of perfection. And he gets through six innings, and he's got a perfect, perfect game going. Well, everybody starts to notice what's going on. Well, he gets through seven, eight. He's in the ninth inning, and the drama is building. Bethany is in the other room asleep. I'm having a hard time not yelling after every out because, I mean, it was just like it was getting tense because you're wanting to see this young kid, 23, 24 years old, throw a perfect game. And so he gets the first out in the ninth inning. He gets the second out in the ninth inning. And to watch the team, when the, when the Dodgers would hit the ball, the, the defense rallied behind this pitcher because they knew what was at stake. They knew that it was a perfect game was at stake. And you're watching them lay out, I mean, give the extra effort to keep this perfect game going. Well, as fate would have it, this next batter comes up. And I don't remember who he was, but I don't like him. He hit, <laughs> <laughs> he hit a blooper over the second baseman's head. And Ozzie Albies is the second baseman for the Atlanta Braves. And he gives it everything he's got to go after this ball. And it, it falls to the ground. Perfect game, done. This pitcher has never recovered from that game. That failure has gotten his mind, and he, he's not even on the roster for the Braves anymore. Because of that singular game, it got in his head so bad that he, he can't even pitch anymore. Last year he was in the bullpen. It's crazy. But you watch the... the they won the game, but you watch the defeat... Of all the players and that one person off of, a, off of a failure. And I've been, in as a coach and been, been playing sports, the, the worst thing that ever happened was when you made an error and someone came to you and just yelled at you for making an error. Am I right? Have you, anybody that's ever played sports, have you ever encountered that? It's like you already feel bad enough for making the error. Why are you yelling at me? I don't, I'm, 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 I am upset enough, Right? But the good, the good teammates are the ones like, hey, man, you'll get it next time, right? Hey, man, it's all right. We got it. Now, if you start seeing a pattern where there's a pattern of errors happening, and especially mental errors, am I right, Tom Clark? Mental errors are the worst. And if you start seeing a pattern of those, then you start, you pull that player aside as a teammate, and you have a conversation. What's going on, right? You don't, you don't throw them out under the bus. And so I think about, and as I was thinking about this, the Lord was just giving me this a couple weeks ago, and it was like, what he gave us in sports and what he gave us in family, they're so, and the church, they go together, right? Brandon preached a message a couple weeks ago about how we correct someone when they fall into failure and to do so gently, knowing that you got junk as well. Right. So if I'm the player who yells at the kid for making, you know, yells at my teammate for making an error and then I might not make an error that game. But at some point I'm going to make an error. So I, I think I think this is important and I think the Lord knew this. And when he and when he designed the church, he I think he had this purpose of Jesus knew the power of community and relationships. He knew the power of that. Remember the prayer when he prays in John 17 where he says, Father, make them one as we are one. And so he prays this, and it's in 17, verse 21, and then he knows that unity and communion were essential for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower his people to accomplish the mission. And so the reason that I I felt like that was important is if you look in Acts chapter 2, in the first verse it says, When the day had Pentecost had fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. They were in unity together. So there must be a posture and position that we have to be in for the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us as a group of people. Am I right? So that means that I can't be fighting with my team. That means that I can't be... It's not mean that we all have to be the same, but we have to be in unity. And so, in here, I have the uh, new, new Spirit-Filled Life Bible, the official Bible of Eastside Church. And on that, there's a word wealth there, and I'm just going to read that, and it's, the, and it's on the whole thing of being with one accord. Hmm. Having group unity, having one mind and one purpose. So the disciples... In the midst of persecution, you've got to remember where this is at, is Jesus had just been crucified. And so they're scared out of their minds. They're scared for their lives, right? But yet they were all gathered together with one mind and one purpose. Because Jesus said, go wait, and I'm going to fill you with the promise. And that power was actually going to em- empower them, give them grace to accomplish the mission that he had for the church. And then we skip down to verse 42. There's a lot of good stuff that happens right there. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit poured out and a rushing wind. Sounds like, sounds like a rushing wind comes through and you see like, all the tongues happen. And then Peter stands up and preaches this incredible message. And then verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, one version says it like this. And they they devoted themselves to one another and to the word of God. That was their sole purpose. They were devoted to one another and to the word of God. And so the word, the word there, devoted and fellowship, they're kind of a similar thing. And I'm going to read this, this definition for fellowship. Sharing unity, close association, partnership, participation, a society, a communion, a fellowship, obviously. Contributory help, the brotherhood. And so this word there is kononia, and it is a unity brought about by the Holy Spirit. And it is brought. this unity is brought only... By the Holy Spirit through a common and intimate bond that literally cements us to each other and to the Father. So they were in this place after the after the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. They were in a place together because they were devoted to one another and to the word, that they were sharing communion with one another, that the Holy Spirit pulled them into. It wasn't like, oh, we're just friends. It was like, no, no, no. uh, A special form of devotion had been poured out that literally cemented us together and to him. It was a supernatural fellowship. But it was only brought about because they were gathered together and they were, they were in unity with one another. You think, so David says, uh, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity, right? That's David. And so he, he points that out. We see so much about how important it is to be in unity. So, and I think, I think about back to, this, the, the back to the thought. So here's a kingdom dynamic on that. The power of unity. The first detailed description of the, of the early Christians is wonderfully, wonderfully revealing. The followers of Jesus who had been baptized by the Holy Spirit, literally devoted themselves to communication and unity with God and with each other. In relationship to God, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, and in prayer. In relationship to one another, they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread with one another. As the Word Wealth article on this passage states, the word koinonia literally denotes a deep sense of spiritual unity, a spiritual communion with the Lord and with each other. With the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the priorities of the followers of Christ focused upon spiritual unity and their Lord and with their brothers and sisters in Christ within the church, the spiritual body of Christ. Every true Christian is a member of the body of Christ and is related to Christ and to other believers as a member of that body. This is the essence of true spiritual unity and the unity of the Spirit. So you think about I kind of got thinking about this a little bit, and the Lord was showing me this thing, and um, been having this conversa- conversation with other people, and this thought: um, when Jesus was uh, implemented the Lord's Supper, and he he sits there and he and he breaks bread, right? And he and he's in unity with his disciples. He's sitting at a table; they're breaking bread. They're sharing the Lord's Supper, and then he goes, this is my body, which is broken. This is my blood, right? And in John 6, earlier, he talks about, if you, you know, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Sounds a little weird, and many people left because it sounded pretty weird, right? So, I mean, don't, don't, get on the, you know, don't get on the people who left because I'm sure if someone said, oh, yeah, 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 be a Christian, you need to eat the body and drink the blood. You'd be like, hmm. Okay, I'm out. That's weird. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking about that, and the, Lord, the, the title of this message is The Power of Communion. And I, I propose this that the Lord had more in mind than a wafer and welches when he led the disciples to the Lord's Supper. It wasn't just about us going through some spiritual routine. But it was, he knew that it, would, it, was a, it was a pathway that as we take the bread and as we drink from the cup, that we are literally feasting on him who brings us into this place of fellowship with one another and with him. Because of what the covenant was bringing. It wasn't just that we would go, oh yeah, I remember Jesus died on the cross. Okay, that's, yeah, that's good, right? not heresy, but it was, it was, I'm bringing you into a covenant. And he says that when you read the story of communion, he says, this is a covenant I make with you. It's literally wedding vows. I think about the vows I said to my wife on the day I got married and it was, I'm coming into covenant. Now on that day is that was, was our relationship as good as it ever was going to be. No, it was going to grow, correct? As long as I wasn't an idiot and she was, we'll just keep going. As long as I wasn't an idiot, it was going to keep going. <laughs> because that's the whole idea of covenant. I am literally, I am committed to this person and to the Father through this marriage. I'm not just committed Oh, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, yeah, I think you're beautiful and you're good looking and, you, you know, you make me happy right now. That wasn't, that's not it. I'm in covenant, right? And so that's what the Father's given us and going, this is how we are with one another, not just our, our spouses. This is how I am. It's how I am with, with Brandon. I'm in covenant with you. I'm in relationship with you. I am, I'm in this posture where I'm cemented to you and to the Father. No matter what you do to me or what I do to you. We're in covenant because that is the church. That was his plan because he knew that if we were in covenant with one another, that we would be in a position, and you see this right here, for the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, power, the baptism to accomplish signs, wonders, miracles, right? Yeah. We all want to go on earth as it is in heaven. Our great commission is to, is to raise the dead, heal the sick, all the, and, and just, you know, yeah. shanda basonda, right? But that, that is part of it. Yeah. That's, right. yeah. That's part of it. That's only just part of it. Because we, if we go start trying to do that by ourselves willy nilly, we, we're weird. Right? And you, I mean, obviously you see it. You know, you, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you're walking through Walmart, right? And someone walks up to you and you go, I'm prophetess so-and-so, or I'm bishop so-and-so. And they start, and you go, oh, cool, what church are you part of? I don't know about you, but I'm like, Ey. Because something is beautiful, and it's not just like this. This, is, this right here isn't just church. This is a part of it. We don't come in here to hear some worship, to get our goosebumps, have our little moment with Jesus, and then hear a message. That's consumerism. That is not God's purpose. That's a part of it. But God's purpose is for this meeting and for us to be with each other every day, doing life, breaking bread, devoted, fellowship. And that's the purpose. And I don't know about you, but I've heard about, I don't know, se- I've been a part of 1,700,000 conversations. I don't know if that's a, a number or not, but we'll roll with it. This year, and, and, my, and my, my even me examine God, what, what is your purpose for the church? You know, we're, we're, we're home. I, I'm st- I still hear from you. You know, I'm in the Word. I mean, I still talk to people. What's your, what's your purpose? And I don't think God was afraid of that question. I actually think it's almost like he'll take what the enemy meant for harm and turn it into good. It's somewhere in the scripture, somewhere in there. And, 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 so, and, and really, because that was an insecurity for me. And insecurities aren't wrong. Insecurities just show you where you're not secure so that you can invite the Lord into that place to make you secure. And so he, I have this question, Lord, what's the purpose for your church right now? What does this look like? And, and, and I'm asking these questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? And he just gives me more questions. And I'm like, that's not how this works. I ask questions, you give me answers. And he said, that's not how this works. And I was like, okay, yes, Lord. So, and he kept driving me back to this place of, The purpose of my church is this. It's mission-minded. It's fueled. It's about people. It's not about me coming and getting filled up. That's just American consumerism. Quick trip. I can go fill my gas up, get me some pizza, get a drink. I'm good to go. Quick trip. That's not the church. And so... If I'm devoted to this person and I'm devoted to one another, then the Lord is, that must mean that I must care about that person. Drew said it like this a couple years ago. Do we actually care? Do we actually really give a little bit about somebody? And and I can't just, you know, you think about, we, we want to talk about how narcissistic everything is right now. We're all narcissists. Every single one of us. Somewhere in us, we think about me, mine, and mine. I know. I, maybe not you. Not you. No, just me. I'm a narcissist. I think about me. And when I think about this, it, it kills my narcissism. Because I can't be obsessed with, it's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one. Oh, my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. That might not be y'all's song, but that's my song. You can ask Bethany. I sing that all the time. It's the song of my life. Lord, change that. He knew that this covenant would bring us into communion with him and each other so that the power of the Holy Spirit could be poured out. If If the disciples weren't gathered... Would the Holy Spirit have been poured out? I don't know. Would there have been boldness poured out on them so that they could actually you know, accomplish the mission? What was the mission? Go tell. Go tell what? Remember, Father, make them one as we are one. So we see they're gathered together in one accord, in unity, and they were devoted to the Lord and to each other. What does a community in communion look like? Obviously, number one is devotion slash fellowship with one another. So we see, because they were in this place, they were devoted to one another. Verse 43, and I'm going to so bounce back and forth from a different translation, so I'll tell you when I change, just in case you're following along. So in 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. That word fear is awe. It's the fear of the Lord. People were amazed at what was going on. In verse 46, we see, and, and so in 44 and 45, we see all that, that they had all, all things in commons. They sold everything they had, all that, which is real trendy, but let's all just, you know, ask yourself the question, would you do it? <laughs> and then, and then that would be hard to answer. Verse 46, daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. Wait a minute. Daily they met together as a one body in the temple courts and in people's homes. You can't have one without the other. If you try to separate it, it's it don't work. If you try to do this without the in being in people's homes, this doesn't work. If you try to just be in people's homes without this, that won't work. You have to have both. They're two gears that ha, that that re, rely on each other. They have to work. And you can't go, "Mm, well, no, they're they're the same size wheel. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily to those who were coming to life. Go to Acts 4. In Acts 4, uh, you see Peter and John, they're arrested But, you know, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, does another rear-end smoking message, and in verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, I think we just saw that a minute ago, and neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great Power. the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. First, they were of one heart, which is a description of the original Greek, meaning in tune or in sync. Now, obviously, I'm a musician, so being in tune is of utmost importance to me. And, um, you know, when you're first playing guitar... You don't know if your guitar is really out of tune. You just pick it up and you start playing it and you can't hear it, right? But the more that you practice in tune, there's a standard. The more that your ear learns about what is in tune. And the thing, what's beautiful is on my guitar, there are six strings. And every one of them are different notes. And you tune them to different notes. 440 standard tuning. And then when pressure is applied... There's a chord. But if I just open this guitar, it doesn't sound very good. I have to apply pressure. In community, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be that stuff. But I'm going to propose this. We cannot grow and have proper character development to look like Christ without being walking with one another to where you're sharpening me and I'm sharpening you. Because if, if I'm just by myself, then, then I can think whatever I want. I'm going to create God in my own image. Remember in Proverbs, I think it's 27, where it says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I think about my knife. If I, was, if I wanted to sharpen this knife, I have to put this thing against a grinder. <laughs> but the, the, the posture and position, I put the blade against the, the wheel will determine whether I sharpen this blade or dull it. The same is true with one another. If we are in wrong posture and position with another, one another, we just create sparks and we dull one another. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. You can, you can pray in tongues till the cows come home. You can raise the dead. You can do all these things. But if you do not have love, you're just a noisy monkey clanging cymbals. And so there's going to be conflict. There's going to be stuff that hurts. And I've got I've to put myself in a position with the, the people I'm walking with to go, hey, you have the ability to speak things into my life that I might not want to hear. But I know that's going to sharpen me. And I can't be offended when that's said. Because that, remember, two swords, if I'm going to put them together, the posture and position will determine whether I sharpen one another or we dull one another. And that posture has to be love from a place of, and that goes back to what Brandon said a couple weeks ago. I mean, gentleness, What what is love, right? We read it at weddings all the time, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is, right? And we just put that inside the context of marriage, not inside the context of covenant with one another. I'm patient. You made an error. I'm not going to yell at you. Yeah. (laughs) Now, growing up, you know, so at 18, when I was learning how to lead worship, there was someone who sat right there at the keys, and they had one of those mics, and they told me when I was singing flat, or I messed up, but not every time. And how they did it mattered. Because the way that it did could either break me down or build me up. And every person is different. I, Alex can say something to me one way and get on me one way. But if he says that to Brandon the same way, it might tear him down. And so that's why you have to be in relationship with that person to know how they work. Right? Right? And we can't do that when we're so focused on ourselves and we're isolated. And we're just thinking about, I want to talk about me, you want to talk about. Right? We have to be thinking about other people. And so the second part of what makes community and communion is one heart, one soul. But that includes friction and conflict. How you get to a being, and when you apply that pressure to a guitar, you create a chord. When you sing harmony, you have three, four different parts, and they're clashing. The notes are clashing, but they create a resolve. If you just pull out two, they'll clash, but three or four, they resolve. So it's important that we're submitted to that posture with one another. And the third thing is multi-generational. And I think if you look over, over time, you can see with like, you know, there are strengths and weaknesses with the boomer generation. There are strengths and weaknesses with the millennial generation. There are strengths and weaknesses with Gen Z. And every generation, there are strengths and weaknesses. And what's what's true is every generation needs each other. It needs each other. And and if we don't if we're not in relationship with each other, then if I'm not in relationship with Ed Price, then I can make fatal mistakes. That he's able to have seen and walked through and lived through. If not and if I'm not in relationship with I mean, even think about kids. I mean you you I think I think of terms of three generations. And probably because I have a child now. And so I'm thinking about, as a parent, I'm thinking about how can I arm him with the resources he needs to be successful. Until he's 18 and then he's... (laughs) (laughs) Delusional, right, right. I receive that. <laughs> <That's family. laughs> but I think, I think about, I think about I'm, the way I think about that generation is differently than I did 10 months ago, a year ago. Raise your hand if you're a grandparent in the room. Is the way that you think about your children now differently than you did 20, 30 years ago? Is the way that you think about your grandchildren different than, different than how you thought about your kids at that age? So why do we not do that in church? That is the point of a healthy community of believers where you have grandparents who are pouring into parents. But they're also fueling and thinking about, you think of a grandparent. They're thinking about their grandchildren in a way of, I want to arm them with resources different than their parents can. And I think I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for this. And I can see the evidence of God's goodness in my life in this regard. I know from the time I was 15 till now, there has always been men of character and faith in my life when I was about to do something stupid or throw stuff away, there was always something there. But that was because I was in, communi- in relationship with them. And I'm thankful for that. And they're in this building to be able to speak to that. Or you can call somebody up at 9 o'clock at night and go, hey, I'm about to come unglued. I need you. I need you to come and, and actually help me work through the crap in my mind. but I have to submit to a process. You can tell me, but unless I'm willing to walk and be changed, I'm just going to stay in my dysfunction. I can give my dysfunction a virtuous name and only give it power and permission to stay. Or I can choose to uh, present that here and then be transformed and grow into what he has for me. It's conversations like Alex pulling me inside. Hey, have you thought about investing? I'm 32. I have a child. Have you thought about investing? What's that look like? What are you thinking about as far as future investments? What are you thinking about like that? That is a picture of a grandparent with a grandchild. Not because of your age. (laughs) It's a picture of a, of a parent, of a grandparent, parenting their adult children. Have you thought about this? Consider. And that's what we need so desperately in the church. And it's here. We're just going to, we're going to, I'm praying and I believe the Lord in the next five years for that to exponentially grow. But we have to take our places as that and realize, hey, I need you. I need you. And I need Julie John, but Julie John needs me. But if I just say, well, no one comes talk to me. No one knows that I'm so full of wisdom. That doesn't look like love. That looks like self-righteousness. And so I've got to be willing to pick up the phone and go, "Hey Julie, we're going to the beach this weekend with my family. Would you like to go?" "Hey, you want to come over for dinner?" It looks like so and so picking up the phone and, "Hey, you want to come over for dinner?" And it's just a relationship. And the reason I said the thing about the beach is we did that. Well, Aubrey and Julie did. <laughs> I think we just have to be... I mean, I think we're at a part of a hunt club and there's a 70-something-year-old guy there and he. you just sit and listen. It doesn't have to be anything spiritual necessarily, but you just sit and listen. Remember, posture, position, how we are with one another, it determines whether we are sharpened or dulled. And that matters. That matters big time. And so... In closing, my one and only close, the time is now. And I think what Alex said is completely true. I don't know that the Lord is really concerned about who the next president of the United States is. Because we're one country in a really big world. And how narcissists to think that That is that important. It is important. But you look at Nebuchadnezzar, who is wicked and evil, and God said, that's my servant. So, Lord, I'm going to put that in your hands. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen for the Holy Spirit and do my part. But I trust you ultimately. And the the time is now. 2020 has been an interesting year. I've heard, I've heard so many people be like, I'm so over 2020, this is the worst year ever. But I remember going into 2020, feeling the Lord saying, this is gonna be a year of clear vision. And if I can get the lenses off myself, I can recognize that I have an opportunity in front of me to actually see Jesus more clearly this year. That has actually been a really good year. It's hard, but hard's not bad. Hard's good. It's the it's the it's the it's whether I'm willing to be submitted to one another or to the situation at hand, so that I can look more like Christ. As Pastor Alex said it last week when he read James three about character development. My character's developed in these times not just who I am who Michael is as a person but who I am as a follower of Christ how I view Christ how I view other people we have an opportunity in front of us think about John the Baptist is in prison right getting ready to get beheaded he's got his doubts as we all would And the word "beheaded" there is beheaded. <laughs> he got a head, <laughs> and he he goes. He, he's got his doubts, and Jesus knows he has his doubts. And he said, "You go tell John at the blind sea." He still got beheaded. The disciples after, are are running for their lives. They're right after the crucifixion. Jesus has said, I don't know how many times that He was going to raise from the dead on the third day. He was going to raise from the dead. Assuredly, I say to you, I will raise from the dead. Where were the disciples on the third day? Hiding in a room. They just spent three years of their life with Jesus, and they still didn't believe that. I wouldn't probably have either. I'm going to put myself in the, I'm not the victor in this story. I'm, the one, I'm, not, I'm not Mary and Martha going to the tomb. I'm the one in the corner crying, hiding. More oftentimes than not. Mary and Martha find Jesus. Go tell the disciples. What did Jesus tell the disciples as he's being raised into heaven? Go tell the world. Go into all the world making disciples of nations. Not making disciples in all nations. Discipling nations. There's a difference. We were fashioned to reign. We were made to do that. But we can't let Our circumstances knock us off mission. And church isn't watching something on a screen. That's not church. As part of the team who helped create that here at Eastside as a supplement. It's not the meal. This is a part of the meal, but it's not the whole meal. I googled what are the odds that I'm alive right now. On on the earth, what are the odds that I'm alive? Random, random thing. But the odds of us being alive right now at this time in history are 1 in 10. With 2,685,000 zeros on the end of it. Basically, next to nothing. Weird thing but we're here and we're here with a purpose and we're here with a mission and we're here because the Lord has empowered us to be here and he has, he has a call on every person's life and anytime time that I've wanted to stray to the right or to the left, the Lord has pulled someone into my community to help keep me on the thing because he has a purpose for my life. All throughout my life, I've known that you have a calling on my life and that's not, it's not special. I'm not special. It's for every person. But I can't be who God's created to me be by myself. I need people. I need people like Ed Price. I need people like Drew Burdick, Eddie Pascon, Paul Marciano, Tom Clark, Joe Altamirano. I need those people in my life. Frank Clark, Danny Drive, Chris Terlowski. Bryson Allen, Joe, Sean. I need people in my life, and that's not because these are just my friends. It's because I need people in my life because I've got to trust that the God in them is bigger than the God in me. Because there's going to be times that that the God in like the God in me is me, and they're going to be able to call that out of me and go, "Hey, here's the way. Walk in it." That's our purpose. That's our mission, church. COVID didn't change that. An election won't change that. That's That's our purpose. That's our mission. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.